0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, I have a special guest in the studio, one of our Discord community members, and geographically, the person the furthest away I've ever spoken to. We've got Ben, also known as Frosty on the Discord, joining us today. Ben is an airsofter from Australia, which is interesting, since many of you might know that Airsoft is actually banned down under. And we'll talk about that in in a little bit. But Ben's been playing Airsoft for four years, primarily doing milsim, milsim-adjacent types of gameplay, as well as playing gel ball, which is similar to Airsoft and legal in certain parts of Australia. He recently actually went to New Zealand to play an Airsoft Milsim. It was a three-day event with his team, and I'm so grateful to have him here today with us to talk about that event and how all that shook out. So Ben, welcome. It's really great to have you here.
1: Good G'day, Phil. It's uh, good to be here.
0: So let's get this out of the way. Airsoft is banned in Australia, and I feel that sort of deeply because we're staring down that same sort of barrel here in Canada right now. And I'm just curious, like, how did that shake out for you? Like, were you already playing Airsoft when it became Ben? Or uh, is that something that happened uh, before you started playing?
1: Uh, no, I don't think Airsoft has actually ever really been in Australia, except maybe back in, you know, before the 2000s when people were using metal pellets. Okay. So that was, yeah, that was before I was born. Um... Yeah, as far as I know, airsoft to me has always been an international sport. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, literally the first time I left Australia was to play airsoft.
0: Okay, and so how did that? How does that work? Like, do you have an airsoft collection yourself, or do you have that sort of in New Zealand when you go to play?
1: Yeah, so me and sixty other members in our team, we all store our airsoft guns in New Zealand. Okay. Uh, we have stores here that specifically put aside storage places and we just pay a membership fee to keep the guns there. And then when we fly back over, they'll service them and make sure they're all working for us so that when we come over, we can just get into it and play.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. So just 60-something guns, how many people on your team? I'd say probably fewer than that. Yeah, well, our communities about a thousand uh, but oh, wow. we regularly
1: have at least 60 players at an event our biggest event was just under a 100 mm-hmm. um of course that does include some of the new zealanders themselves but on top of that um you know how it is once you buy one airsoft gun you can't stop yeah. so out of the 60 players that have it it's you know three guns per person it really adds up
0: right so um In terms of, uh, you know, and as we were leading up to this podcast, we talked about it a little bit, but I'm curious to to hear your explanation, you know, in person. Uh, Traveling back and forth, like, is that something that happens fairly frequently just in general? Uh, Or is it really sort of something specific to, that you guys focus on every, as a community?
1: So the traveling, we always have a main event in October, and that's the big, let's get everyone over, let's get the new players this is the guy, like if you're going to one, this is it. In the past, we've also had some in earlier around March. And um, since then, because people just fall in love with the sport, you'll find every now and then someone will say, Hey, I'm going over for the weekend. There's five of us. If anyone wants to come, get a plane ticket. The biggest thing that has stopped that obviously was COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last time I'd say 90% of us played was 2019. And a couple people managed to slip in in 2021. But apart from that, this is really the first event that we've all been able to actually travel for.
0: Right. And just just for clarity, like March is the beginning of spring for you guys. Is that right?
1: No, it's the beginning of autumn for us. September is spring
0: for us. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. October. So when you went over, this would be like the beginning of the of the season, so to speak, for most players uh, in let's say in northern countries like myself um yes the beginning of spring would be when we are yeah okay very good very good yeah
1: same here a week before we flew in this part of New Zealand still had snow flying around oh wow Uh, so yes that's definitely the start of the season for the
0: most and I guess given the travel and stuff like that you probably don't do too much winter airsoft
1: no I'd love to but uh no
0: fair enough so let's talk about this game. So you mentioned there's you know sixty players. Um, you know the biggest one you've done is around hundred and so on. How is it all organized? Is it like a two team event? Is it objective based? Like how how is it structured?
1: So it's changed over the last eight years, but the last three events we had was our Conquest series, where there'll be certain objective areas on the map, and you'll have two main forces: the Red Force and the Blue Force, and then there'll be a third faction, which is the PMC. And they're purely there to balance out the gameplay. So if one team is just owning all the objectives and getting really ahead in points, the PMC will then go work for the other team to try and switch it back.
0: Okay, very good. And are, they, um, are these games that are organized by like an organizing committee or is it a club-based thing or is it just the players themselves getting together?
1: So OZ1, which is Oscar Zulu 1, is the first Australian airsoft team and that's who organizes this. We have a small admin team made up of the original members and people who've just stood up to say, you know, this event is important to me and I want to put more into it. So we have this admin team, which I was a part of this year, and we just go over, you know, throughout the months, the gameplay rules and everything, the logistics. Um, Sometimes we organize accommodation and transport for when people arrive in country just Mm -hmm. to make it easier for them. And that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. It's a team of maybe nine people. Uh, so mostly Australian-based, but some of them New Zealanders, obviously, because we want to come over, we want them to help us get the field or and everything ready for us to use.
0: Very good. And in terms of the logistics itself, so I think you were saying uh, in the lead-up, it's a three-day event, right? Like a, it's a, Saturday, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of thing, right? Yes. So do you do like, uh, overnight camping is there overnight games or how's is, how is that uh logistically done
1: so before the conquest series we had uh fob 13 which i believe was a complete overnight event where players actually slept on the field and shipping containers and you had um, it was a very more immersive milsim style where you, there was role playing involved you had insurgents walking around as civilians wearing S vests and, you know, trying to be sneaky, trying to take out these NATO style forces. Mm-hmm. And that was overnight. So full gameplay, people sleeping with their goggles on and everything. Wow. But the last three years to make it easier for new players, we've just done, um, you start around 9am, 7 to 9, depending on how fast we are, finish about 5pm, and then everyone drives back to a local accommodation, has a shower, goes to sleep and does does the same thing the next day
0: okay gotcha and no camping on site or anything like that
1: no uh, we might do it again in the future but as of now there's no camping on site
0: so what was that like for you like since you're traveling with a team like is it just like a big barbecue party in the, in the evening after the game yeah or...
1: exactly yeah. yeah um yeah we definitely we choose places and we go we can fit 40 people here and then you know 20 people will go out to dinner at the same time another 15 people will get the barbecue out and cook a bunch of sausages and all that it makes it a whole lot easier um being in another country you know not having access to your own camping equipment
0: and such Mm -hmm. yeah because certainly you wouldn't be carrying all that stuff over with you you know especially like a commuter flight or or whatever else exactly so you're doing you know like your your typical like seven to nine o'clock in the morning and five o'clock finish and during the day are uh is it like organized in terms of like you get your op order or like your your squad orders and you you do that or is it multiple different types of objectives throughout the day how is how does the actual gameplay function
1: so specifically like i said it's more focused on conquest and battlefield so this year for example we had five core objectives and two spawn bases the goal is to get to the base where there was a radio you call in you say blue team capturing objective church and then you give them a time. Someone at HQ will write down blue has this objective at 2.45. And then from that on, every minute that you have it is a point. Eventually Mm -hmm. red might come along. They overthrow you. They take it. They say red capturing at uh, 3 p.m. Then that time stops for blue and red starts counting. Uh, So overall, at the end of the day, you add up just the amount of minutes and that goes towards the score. On top of that, the game admins will throw in random side missions throughout the day um it'll be things like hvt targets maybe uh they won i believe we had a fuel canister we had to retrieve so now you have to decide whether we use your squads to hold an objective you already have or go after this objective return it to base and hope that it's worth more points than the time you spent you know doing it
0: right and is that is that structured through like a chain of command or is it more yeah. based on your squads
1: yes so each each team will have a leader uh, a general and someone at the headquarters running the game will put out over the comms at their own saying uh, be advised here's a side mission and then it's up to that commander to now either tell the entire team or select specific squad people to go after that mission
0: gotcha and is the, yeah. is the commander in play in that they're worth points or they can actually do things or are they sort of removed from, from the, from the gameplay?
1: No, commanders are on the field, um, always in it. Sometimes there'll be a, you know, hit order put out on them. So the other team might specifically go for your commander and capture them, which now means if they're, you know, technically dead, they're off the radio comms for 15 minutes. That's 15 minutes. The squad saying, Oh, what do we do now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, the Sunday morning, um, I was the blue commander because our blue commander wanted to step out for a bit and just you know refresh himself. So for a few hours, I was in charge of blue, and you're, the Discord members will see on Discord the photos of Tickle Me Almo from Sesame Street. Yeah. So Almo came onto field, who is like a six five, six foot five, tall, big red man running around the field who's crazy and he has a gun um he was the main objective for sunday and my knowledge was we were to get elmo and take him back to our base to get points so i you know i kept putting out the radio we need to capture him we need to get him back because he's worth more than any objective at this point we end up spending about three hours trying to get him back to our base um because he was very stubborn and he kept changing his mind and you didn't want to die from him it turns out that it was actually not getting back to your base. It was the team that holds him the longest gets more points. So uh-huh. you can you can be you could see my surprise when I was expecting a fifteen minute mission turn into a three hour mission and then pay off anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, let, I think that's a good segue. I mean, let's get into what your what your weekend was like. So, how did the event start off for you guys? Like, let's let's talk about like the initial situation of what you were up to right out right off the hop.
1: Um uh, so we'd all start off at HQ and have your briefing and then you'd, you'd be given a time to get to your base and everyone would sit at their base and then you'd get to 9 30 and you'd hear on the radio game on and everyone would just sprint towards objectives because okay. like I said, it's the time is the points. Yeah. yeah Um so day one, uh we had the way the map layout was the red team actually had two very close points to them. But we had three that could cut off half the map. So day one, I chose out three very fast runners. I said, you go here, you go there, and you go there. Because it doesn't matter if you die because you're by yourself. If you called in straight off the bat, we've already got points in the board. Mm -hmm. And the admin guys told us it was game on at 9.30, and then it was blue team captures church at 36, blue team captures graveyard at 37, blue team captures graveyard at forest at 38 so then like i said that's yeah they said you guys captured them the fastest and managed to hold them too
0: Mm -hmm. and so did you did you roll with a squad or did you have a particular group of people who you were playing with that you stuck with during the entire during the entire time or did you sort of were you a bit more flexible and like float between different places
1: yeah so we had organized squads and but you had to be flexible on blue team, we had five. It was Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, and Echo. Um, but of course, as people die and go back to respawn, you get lost from your squad and you end up making your own little squads. Um, so in the interim, we also had people not rock up some days just because you know they were buggered or tired and just couldn't play anymore. And it got to the point where we actually had Charlie and Echo just become one squad and Delta and Alpha become one squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make it easier to organize.
0: Right. And the reason I asked that question too is if you you know, if you're talking 60 players, like that's not like they have some of these milsimmans and states like we were talking to Chaz and some of the guys there's like 200, 300 players. like um, it's I, I think it probably is a lot easier for them to stay static versus having to be flexible like like you were saying, right? um just from the point of view of of losing players and you know losing yourself too like if you go to spawn like are most people using radios and stuff like that when you play
1: yeah a lot of radios are in use
0: Mm -hmm. so you're you're rushing out you're doing all this kind of stuff when you think about like your first day like what's the standout moment for you in the first day like what was the coolest thing you did that first day
1: first day god it's all such a blur especially when you're going off of five hours of sleep every night yeah fair enough um, first day I can't remember the first day but I can give you second day uh, second day the best moment was probably my first flank on my gel ball team okay. so my gel ball players were actually on the opposite team for this event which was kind of fun because I've never versed them before and they've got a pretty good rep back where we play ball, mm-hmm. as a, you ball know, being some of the best so yeah, it was a. I was hidden in a spot, just you know, being very still because movement, it, you know, it attracts attention. Yeah, and I've got my jawball squad, maybe slowly walking up, under ten meters away from me, and I wasn't too sure where my friendlies were because once you're down in the dirt, you can't see anything too close. Thankfully, I had a one of my squad members about three meters to my front right. My team uh, my jar ball team on the enemy spotted her. She got up, took him out. Someone went to shoot her, so then I killed him. Then once those two are down, I knew the rest of their team was to my far right. So I just sprinted forwards, got in behind them and you know, did the classic shoot them in the back of the leg or the shoulder. They turn around going, Oh, where am I being shot from? And you gotta shoot them a couple of times to make sure that they, you know, see where you are and they call it
0: yeah classic
1: and uh the fun part of that is we have kill cards for our jarball team okay so little cards that have our sort of scroll logo on it and then you write your name on it and you hand them out to people just to say you know thanks for being a good sport uh here's your you know here's our killing card for you so to be able to hand those back out to our own our own team was uh, definitely fun
0: because nice. you
1: know we were hunt- we were hunting them down all weekend for sure
0: yeah, and I saw some of the pictures that you posted in the in the Discord, just as a as a side note. And I really noticed, like you're, I think you're wearing like multicam or UCP. I'm not really sure which exactly, but that sort of like multicam style pattern. And you know, I've talked a lot of crap about multicam here in and its effectiveness here in Newfoundland, uh, which is to say that it's not. If you if you haven't gotten that memo, it sucks here. But in the pictures <laughs> that you posted, it actually seems like really quite effective for the terrain that you were playing in. Hey.
1: Yeah, for New Zealand terrain, especially in the pine forest regions, multicam is very good. Um, It works really well in sunlight as well. It just kind of blends into the foliage behind. Uh, You get a lot of people who hate multicam and despise it, but look, it's readily available. It does kind of look good. It goes with every other camo. And if it works Mm -hmm. in your terrain, why not use it?
0: Well I think that's the most that's the most important point like I I don't dislike the look of it but it's really for our boreal forest here it's like you're wearing a lighthouse you, you know you might as well just be wearing white um, but in, I was really, really quite impressed, uh, with, there's a picture of you, you showed me, you're like lying down and you've got the, your, your airsoft uh, reps go up and you've got that mask on your face or whatever. And it's like, it really like you're, I can just see like your legs. And I'm like, wow, that's very effective. Also, I really appreciate your use of scrim and like just putting stuff over your head instead of just, you know, rocking a helmet really does make a big difference. Hey, too. in uh, staying concealed. And I think it sounds like you had some pretty good success staying out of sight
1: yeah um, come day three, this is probably my most favorite part of the event for myself. Um, you know, this is the real heart racing moment. We had an objective called Fort, which is essentially just a bunch of uh, tires and sheet metal in a circular fort looking uh, building. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really have anyone defending it throughout the day because people going off trying to get their own objectives. So I had me and uh, five others in my squad, sort of loosery around the boundary of it, trying to you know, get enemy before they got too close. It got to the point where we were kind of too spread out and I sent one person back into the fort. Next thing we know, we have seven guys pushing from our north, the only flank that we hadn't had defended uh-huh. because we had the objective to the north and we're hoping that they could hold it. So we have these seven guys pushing, and I've gone to my south and uh, western flank. I said, guys, head north. Get behind them now. And I'm sort of in the middle of this triangle of the south, west, and east, which is where the fort. So these seven guys are pushing, and I've got my second-in-command, Zen, in the fort by himself, and Zen's being a champion. You hear him yelling out things like, man down, man down. I'm out of ammo, and he's putting on different voices, sprinting around to different corners of the fort, making it look like there's more than just him there, Mm -hmm. and thankfully that slowed down the attacking force enough because I had two guys in my north who were in perfect flanking position, but they were moving too slow, and I'm coming up on the radio, I'm saying, guys, now, push now, it's now or never, we're going to lose this, and it got to the point where I said, all right, I need to go because they're not so I've come in, and I've just zeroed my gun as well. I didn't have it zeroed for the first two days, so my shots were everywhere, but I've just zeroed it, and I'm now just getting that you know one shot snap kill. So I come in, shoot one guy, shoot another guy, shoot a guy who goes to the right of him, shoot two more, and I'm just just running through them, and that one of them actually told me afterwards he was confused, thinking that I was trying to revive them because I was so close to them. I get to the door, take out another two, pull out my pistol because of their MED rules. I shoot one guy leaving because he's all, yeah, we've captured it. There's only one guy here. Everyone's dead. And then I shoot the guy as he's picking up the radio to call in the capture point. So i have no just taken out seven people. Yeah, just taking out seven people in maybe 40 seconds. And, it, you know, it's, it's that sort of unreal moment of, did I just do this? And, of course, <laughs> everyone around is watching. Everyone's watching me and, like, man, that was a really good push. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, it's great. And obviously the story got around because later that night people are going, uh, you've got a bit of a, a reputation now for being sneaky and just getting behind people. I've got yeah, no, definitely the best moment of my weekend for sure.
0: That's awesome. I mean, those are the th- kinds of things, like I love hearing those kinds of stories because it's like, you can't plan for that, right? It's just stuff no. at some point, you you know, you take you have to take that ownership and it just works out like it could have gone sideways, but it didn't, everything worked out. And I really like, I mean, I love the story of your, of your buddy, just being a champ inside, uh, playing those mind games. Right. Cause I like, I like doing that myself too. Like using the fact that, yeah, you can be loud and other people can hear you. I, in fact, I did it last, uh, last weekend when we were playing, as a side note, and I know this is not about me, but I'm going to give the story anyway, where there's a guy in the sniper tower on the field that we're playing at, and he's popping up and down behind this cover. And he's putting fire down on the guys. And like, there's still a guy up there. And I said, okay, I'll get him. So I got into a piece where I had a perfect vantage point and I shouted, I'm reloading. And he popped right up and I shot him. And I was like, yeah. So I uh, I appreciate your 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 buddy uh, playing those those mind games. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Actually, coming back to that, I do remember my day one best moment. I was on the south side of the field for hours, and eventually I I died and respawned, and I said to myself, you know what, I'd like to see what's happening on the other side of the field. It was a little confusing because there was this fence line, and I remember them saying, you see a fence line, you don't cross it. That's out of bounds because we had um, paintballers playing nearby, and the last thing we want is, you know, 14-year-old kids shooting at our Gucci gear with paint. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, I've ai I looked at this friend and said, no, hang on a minute. There's definitely an objective past here." So I was walking by myself, came up to this objective called watchtower and there's just no one there. I'm like, okay, cool. Called in captured the point, And then sat there for a little bit, just cause there was no real, um, mission order for myself. Anyway, I see sort of movement, not too far away. So I decide to hide near the objective. I'm lying maybe 15 metres from the radio behind this piece of sheet metal. And I can hear the footsteps, maybe five guys walking through, pick up the radio, call it in for red team, and then walk off immediately. So I'm just sitting there giggling. So I get back up, pick up the radio, call it back for blue, um, as they've just walked off. Because there's no way I was going to take out the five. I mean, I say that and I just take out seven, but... But you you didn't know you were going to do that yet. (laughs) I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. I was expecting to kill maybe two and then, you know, be done. So I've done that. And then I um, headed south towards where the fort was and got behind... um, There was a huge firefight going there. And I managed to get behind red team because all blue team was in the fort. And I was shooting red in the back, you know, giggling because shooting people in the back they just—they don't expect it, and it, its funny watching that bit of confusion of you know where is it coming from. Then yeah. the problem of that too is now I've got blues people in the fort shooting at me, and I'm like, no, friendly, friendly, because I'm taking out this attacking force. But they see me as a you know a threat because I'm outside the walls.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Eventually, I managed to take out managed to take out the last of the attacking force, but it just so happened to be the last person attacking. We traded, so now we're both dead. And that always annoys me because it's like, "Well, what do we do now if we're both dead?" Yeah. Um, and I'm yelling at I'm yelling at Fort. I'm yelling, "Blue medic, blue medic," you know, because I'm like, "They're they're all dead. They don't know that." But judging by the fact that there's no one shooting anymore, you can assume that. So I'm yelling at blue medic. I'm saying, "Please, I don't want to walk back to respawn. Someone come get me." Um, no one came, and then I walk in. I see we've got maybe 14 guys there, and I'm going. I'm upset that no one came for me, but um, I get it sometimes, you know, what's to, what's to stop the red team from yelling at blue medic is a trap. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was good. That was my, that was my day one moment, I reckon.
0: So just thinking back and I mean, I should have asked you about this earlier, but I mean, here we are. Um, w- grenades. Is that a thing? Like, are they, are they allowed? Uh, is pyro allowed? How does that, how does that all shake out?
1: Grenades are allowed? Uh, no pyro, no smoke, just for bushfire problems. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah. um, definitely loud thunder be bangs and whatnot. Grenades are loud, um, which I love because, yeah, there was definitely moments in the day where you were just hearing grenade after grenade go off. We had a couple people with 40 mics as well. Okay. Um, thankfully, I didn't really see any grenades nearby. You could just hear them. But uh, they were there. We also had people sitting up trip wires and such.
0: Okay. Yeah. Right on. So thinking now about the, the, the weekend, I mean, this is a question I, I really, you know, like we've talked a lot about your, like, well, obviously your big success and your, your big high point of uh, being the MVP, especially on that, on that third day. But what do you think was your, your biggest challenge over, over the weekend? It can be like gameplay challenge or just logistics challenge as well over like a three-day event like that.
1: Yeah. Um. I tried going over it. We had a, it was really good. There was no stopping of gameplays or anything, but I think for me, something that really annoyed me was my comms equipment. Mm -hmm. I went through three headsets before I could get a microphone to work, which is, you know, not ideal when you spend all this money on something that you want to work. And also being a squad leader and second in command for the whole team, you kind of need to be able to talk to people. Um, yeah, so that was my biggest challenge for day one, at least, was not being able to have any communication with my team. If I ever, if anyone needed me, I had to have a squad mate near me who I could either talk into their radio for them or get them to relay the message.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, comms are, are a problem just in general. I think it's a, it's a recurring issue, um, not just for. Airsofters, but I think, you know, even real world militaries, it's always a struggle Struggle of like getting everyone on the same frequencies and getting equipment, you know, sorted and all this kind of stuff. What about in terms of gameplay? Like, did you have any struggles or or what, what struggles did you have, if any, um, with just getting organized and getting that large number of people to coordinate? I, you touched on it a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious to hear a bit more about it.
1: Just time, really, um, because... We didn't have squads really organized beforehand. There were maybe two or three squads organized, but come the day, uh, people would rock up by themselves and go, okay, you need to be in Bravo squad because they're missing three people. And it, yeah, it's time because if people are rocking up late, I can't organize them. Even things like getting everyone on the same radio frequency or using, you know, uh, giving out information like there's a guy on Red Team wearing multicam cam. Make sure everyone on your team knows that there is one enemy in our camo, but he's got red tape around his arm. So just mm-hmm. keep an eye out for that. It was, yeah, it was just the organization of making sure that everyone is on the same page. I think. Yeah. Just having the time to do that was probably a challenge.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. And In terms of what the event is actually like, I mean, you know, we talked about this already. There's lots of highlight reel moments, lots of really good plays and stuff like that. But uh, from your experience, what are some of the moments that they probably wouldn't make, if you were to make a video, they wouldn't make the highlight reels, but they probably make up a big portion of the overall experience. Like, What would you say those like run-of-the-mill bread and butter events were for you or uh, things that happened were?
1: Uh, Lying down in cover. (laughs) <laughs> just trying to spot the enemy in front of me, you know. Um, I think you, some people see the picture of the two four nine run. We had a big sticker on the front of the box that said "fragile" and it was bright red. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like that was just a bit of a joke because you know we don't want people throwing the gun around. But the, yeah, you get to that point where you're lying down and you're going, oh, "I hope I'm in cover. I hope I can shoot it from here." And then you go, "Hang on a minute, everyone can see this big bright sticker on me." So you, just trying to move around in the ground. I think that sort of anticipation of something's about to kick off is definitely, it's always in your mind. And I think that's that's definitely half the fun for sure.
0: And how big was the field that you were playing on? Like if you were to walk from one edge to the other uh, long ways, what, how long would that be, would you say?
1: Ooh. Just trying to think of a, a unit of measurement we can use here. I'd probably say maybe two to three soccer-sized stadiums. Okay. Uh, specifically, the field, not the stadium itself.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if you can if, imagine, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, sorry. If it, if you can imagine it, it was a bit of a box—the map that we play on. So, if you can imagine nine soccer fields laid out by each other.
0: Okay. In so a if,
1: square format.
0: Yeah. If you're if you're crossing from one edge to the other i mean you're talking like 20 minutes maybe for for a walk or something like that right
1: yeah yeah probably it, it, it also some of the the way the field was set up some of it you can't go direct paths because of the bushes that were on the field uh the gorse mm-hmm. it's just it's it's pickles it, it prickles it's needles it's you go in that you're coming out with cuts and it's not a good time so yeah there was definitely some Routes you just can't take because of the of the actual terrain itself,
0: right? So, and I guess because of the size of the field, probably no vehicles either. That's not something that uh, no working. Vehicles no, there was move.
1: one. Oh, really? There was one vehicle. We have it. We call it the battle bus. It's a minivan with a hole in the roof and a machine gun uh, like spot can be mounted in there. Okay. Um, so in the past, we have used it to shoot from, but for this event, it was purely more of a um. The guy, Alistair, really good guy. He was just driving around. He drives full speed too. So if you hear a vehicle, get off the road because <laughs> he's not stopping for you. Um, but he he goes around kicking up dust and he'll see, you know, walking back to spawn, he might pick them up, make them, you know, have a shorter journey. Or he'll go back to spawn point, see people just respawn. he will say, everyone in, where do you want to go? Um, and we had, I think, two of our days. We actually somehow won. I don't know if it was a side mission or something, but we... One use of the battle bus for an hour or two, which is great because then we'd put someone in the battle bus and you pick them up on the radio saying, "Hey, go to church, pick up Echo Squad, and send them down the graveyard," because now you've got, you know, instead of them making a ten-minute walk, you get them there in two minutes and cut down that time time that could be used uh, specifically, you know, on the scoreboard if you call on the radio faster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's very fair. And think about this vehicle. Like, uh, I just, I just picture this guy like just ripping around the field full speed. Like, that's that's wild. Like, and um, is he like a uh, one of your teammates, or is it like uh, one of like the field owners? Or um, yeah, so he's a local, local,
1: um, and yeah, he's basically just part of the community in this part of New Zealand.
0: Right on. Um, So. You know in events like that, I find like one of the one of the well, obviously, I haven't attended this this event in particular, but in large events, you know one of the things that always strikes me is how how confused things get very quickly. yeah, right? Like things you sort of lose control um of the situation. and not so much you lose control of the situation, but you lose control of like your awareness of what's going on. So how did you experience that uh, over the course of the weekend, especially as second in command? Uh, for your for your team um yeah it's
1: it's different especially being in second command because i'm you know worrying that everyone's having a good time and there's no problems and that they all know what they are here to do and at the same time i'm thinking you know i hope i'm getting the message across and i'm coming across as someone they can come talk to i mean you know, i'm not being that that general who says do this do that and you have to listen and i I think it did an okay job because I did have teammates coming up to me saying, you know, that they had problems that needed addressing or whatnot, um, which is, you know, it's you got to do that. We had one guy, for example, say, um, he came up to me and said, my teammates went to admin saying that I was getting hit and not calling it and that he would have much preferred if they went to him as a teammate and said, hey, you know, we're seeing babies land on you and you're not calling it. It's that sort of, you know, you respect the person and go to them first rather than make it a bigger problem. Um, and yeah. I know that whole sort of losing control, we have one guy who he gets in a firefight and he just changes, you know, he he kind of snaps into this other person who just goes around and uh, it's it's that sort of, I think the thing that sometimes veterans get where they see themselves back in the sort of in the sandbox as they they call it. And and, uh, yeah, I do think I find that interesting, but yeah, it's you see the adrenaline and and the smile on people's faces, you know, that moment when they're going, Hey, I am here playing airsoft. This is unlike my, you know, normal day-to-day stuff. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. No kidding. Um, Talk a bit about your Dingo award. Yes.
1: So the Dingo Award is our essentially our best and fairest. Um, the award came from one of our past members uh, whose co sign was Dingo, uh, Keith. Keith was just, I haven't met him, but from the stories, he was just sort of the pinnacle of what a player should be. You know, he was the guy who you never expected what he was going to do, but whatever it was, it was something that made everyone enjoy it and have a good time. He just sort of held this standard of if you're going to want anyone standing next to you, it's going to be Keith. So we made the Dingo Award, which was essentially given to the people who upheld his sort of, uh, you know, respect. And you'd give them out to each team. And this year, yeah, I happened to be one of the recipients of the award.
0: And it was interesting to me when you were talking about it, because it's not just about, you know, uh, being, you know, clutch on the field, but it's also about, you know, fair play, which I think is something that, I mean, just the name of this podcast alone should tell you that that's something that matters to us. Yes. <laughs> uh, very, very much so. And so I, it was very cool for me. And I, you know, I, I said it, and I mean it, like it was well-deserved, well-earned. Um, but it's cool to have that sort of dynamic at a field where you recognize not just the players who are, you know, rushing into a, bu- you know, up to a building and killing seven people in 40 seconds, because not everyone's gonna do that necessarily, but also who's able to say, you know, is above reproach in terms of how they play and how they play fair. So I think it, it's really cool. And is that something that like the whole the whole team sort of votes on and then gives it to a player or how does, how does the actual uh, assignment of that award go?
1: I believe it's sort of the top of admin um, discuss it. I imagine they hear things throughout the weekend from players, of course. And I'm I'm sure, I believe I did in the past. I came up to someone and said, hey, this person, you know, notably did well in this, um, you know, consider them for the award. Uh, but yeah, there, there is, I'm not sure how many people technically decide on the award, but it is the top, top of the admin.
0: Very cool. Well, I'm very proud of you and I'm glad that you're a member of our community and sharing that. Cause I think it's a, it's a, it's a very, very cool thing and definitely lives up to um, our values literally around the world, like on the other side of the planet. So, you know, big kudos. Thanks. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about, because I think it's something that, you know, we always, always harp on quite a lot. Um, what did you learn? Like, what is, what are the lessons that you're taking out from your experience over the weekend that you're going to be carrying into, you know, future events? What are the things that you're going to be improving on? So we talked about comms and how that was a bit garbage. So fair enough. But um, what are some of the things that stood out to you in terms of your personal skills, perhaps, or your interaction with your team that you're like, this is something that I need. I, I think I need to work on a bit more.
1: Um, I don't need to work on this more, but I'd like to. Uh, Being diverse with other squads and flexible, like I said, uh, sometimes you respawn and you have to go out with someone else. And I think that I did that a lot, and it really paid off. There were definitely a lot of times when I just took one random from another squad and said, "Hey, you and me, we're going to do some recon over here. See what we see, what mess we can get into." I think Mm -hmm. it's a great way to meet other players and such, Um, and especially the newer players. Uh, especially the Kiwis who you know get to play all year round, they get to see what us Australians are made of, even though we only come a couple times a year. But um mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely a good way to meet people and build that community, and realise that there are other crazy people out there like you who love just shooting their friends with plastic.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know that's a fair point too. Like when you're when you're coming up against you know, the Kiwis, as you call them. So, you know, people from New Zealand, for those of you who are not familiar, if, if, if you're living in, under some rock, um, how do you feel you compare to them in terms of personal skills and um, airsoft skills just in general, uh, considering that you don't get to play all year long?
1: Um, well, see, Milsim, as far as I can tell, isn't actually big in New Zealand. I feel like we actually made it a big. It's more CQB fields, or if they're open fields, they have still got a CQB set up with small towns. So when it comes to the Milsim aspect, I find a lot of the time the Australians are you know look to them, and that was was the go for this weekend with some of the guys I picked up that were interview they would give them tips like, hey, if a grenade goes off, don't look at it. You know everyone's gonna be looking at it. Um or if the grenade does go off and everyone is looking at it, that's when you need a move because, their attention somewhere else.
0: Yes, uh, so yeah. when, it,
1: when it came to, you know, knowing their guns and how to use them, the Kiwis who get to use them all the time, um, you know, they're crazy with some of the builds that they have. They definitely have a lot, you know, better movements when it comes through barricades and such. But when it comes to the bigger Milsim side of, you know, make sure you hydrate and you take rest and all that, I definitely think the Australians have that down pat.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, that's such a huge, huge part of Milsim compared to especially like CQB. We were talking about that, uh, in the podcast, um, you know, last week, which is really around. If you take people who only play CQB and you put them in a Milsim, the first thing immediately that you notice is typically you don't have that level of endurance of being able to play for five, six, seven hours in a row. And you don't have the reflex to your point just now of, are you hydrating? Are you eating, Hmm. um, oh, by the way, you're going to be holding the sector for two hours, so yeah. get comfortable, right? Like, and being vigilant for that amount of time is, is different. So it's interesting to, to bring that up. Um, in terms of your team and your your team structure, is there anything that you came came away from with your team that you're like, this is something that we'd like to, to practice a bit more, or drill a bit more? Uh,
1: I think is important for people to know their sort of their place in the team. There was definitely a lot of, uh, a big thing with this event, there wasn't roles. We didn't have medics. Everyone could provide everyone. Um, mm-hmm. there was an LMG or a DMR and sniper role, of course, but that was relevant to if your squad actually had them. Uh, we only had the one LMG, which was, you know, interchanged in and out between different players anyway. But yeah, there was definitely a, um, what am I doing here? Sort of what's my purpose in this squad sort of mindset going around. And I feel like that definitely held us back in some moments because then not only as a squad leader, did I have to decide what people had to do because they didn't know what they should be doing, but um, you should sort of have that. This is my gameplay style. This is what I should stick to because I know it's the most effective. So if I'm a close range person, I need to be constantly at the front line or on that flank if I'm sneaking. But if I'm just sitting here as a grunt with no real direction, I'm going to be, you know, looking in every direction, looking for stuff to I do and end up just getting lost. So I definitely mm-hmm. think um, getting everyone on, on a clear mindset on, on what they're, you know, best at and what they should be doing needs to be more clear.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what you're talking about makes a lot of sense to me and having this sort of like, at least a standard of... Hey, if you're not doing anything, for example, you should be doing these things. Or if you're in this role, then this is, to your point, how behave is the wrong word, but this is how you should act, right? This is what these are the things you should be doing. Like if there's a machine gun in your hands, these are the things you should be doing versus how is that going to be different? What is the standard if you're doing another role? And I, you know, that's definitely something that, you know, you can drill and you can work on as a group, right? When you're, Uh, taking a bit of off time just thinking about it and just conceptualizing some of that in your own mind so that's fair enough
1: yeah one of my favorite classics is whenever you capture uh, an objective and everyone just stands around talking about the fun fight they had but of course no one's now no one's watching the perimeter for the next squad to come take it from you
0: yeah exactly it's like you take that you take that point and you should be doing 360 security immediately exactly and then you know whatever your procedure is, whether, you know, uh, I know some people call it ammo CAS or whatever, where you just like, okay, who who's got ammo? Who's got, who's a casualty? Who did we lose? Like doing that whole sort of like uh, standard checklist of like whatever, I, however many items and getting ready for, okay, what's the next thing instead of, and that's a classic air softer thing, right? Yeah. Just like, yeah, that was so great. And then meanwhile, you know, you walk off and the next player just comes back and takes the objective back from you because you don't leave <laughs> a rear security or, or whatever, right?
1: Exactly. Uh, So one thing I definitely need to be more vigilant with is just shooting people Um, because sometimes you feel bad. I know we had a few people who didn't have dead rags and they kind of, or even people who forget to take their dead rags out and they kind of get into that slow walk with their gun down, that they're, you know, being defeated and they're going to respawn. A couple of times I came across that and I've got, okay, that person's dead, not shot them. And then next thing you know, I'm getting shot by them. So I, definitely need to be more vigilant in just shoot the guy and and hope that you know ask for forgiveness later if they are dead
0: yeah that's uh I mean that's a tough lesson to learn I think I've had that issue as well sometimes before I remember once I was playing a a game and I I came right up on Stefan and and I was like oh he's dead and for some reason he my mind said he was dead and I don't know why and he just blasted me I'm like dude what the hell he's like I'm not dead I was like oh Oh, yeah. okay. Well, you know, it sucks to be me, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, right. you know, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel it. And I, it's good, you know, like you're saying, not every, at least here, not everyone has kill rags. I know, for example, I don't have one on me. Um, but I also always make it very evident that I'm You know, dead. If I'm walking back to respawn, most of the time it's by shouting that I'm dead. Please don't shoot me. Um, But not everyone, you know, especially in a longer game. Like eventually, your energy levels drop down, or if you're 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 feeling defeated, right, in terms mentally, you might not be thinking about that. So I, I take your point absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, listen. It was really great to talk to you today, Ben. Uh, I'm uh, super stoked to be able to talk to someone uh, who's who lives in a completely different airsoft reality than we do here. I think the idea of having to travel to another country just to be able to play airsoft is, you know real dedication to the sport. Like some people here will say they're dedicated to airsoft, not like you, like clearly not because you have to get on a plane and travel across the border to be able to play airsoft. So that's, that's I mean, it's not wonderful that you have to do that, but it's it's amazing to get a chance to talk to you about about that. And I'm very, very grateful that the Discord uh, was able to bring us together and have this conversation today.
1: Yeah, it's been good. Um, yeah, it's hopefully, you know, Airsoft will come to Australia at some point, but uh, until then, New Zealand's the go. Uh, We are looking at Thailand, but uh, yeah, Thailand's still, it's it's a plane away, unfortunately.
0: And a different language too.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for listening uh, guys. Uh, as we always say, um, if you want to keep this conversation going, if you're you know uh, international and you wanna talk to us about airsoft in your country, join us on the Discord. The link is in the description. Um it's a it's a wonderful community. And if it can bring people like, you know, Ben and myself together for a conversation, we can do the same thing with you. Um but until you do that, that's all we've got for you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week.